Hello universe! It is one, two, three, four here on the 15th of October and the year would be the year that the cat licks scab, right kitty? Stay up there, don't come down here. Um, whatever. Call it the year of, um, the year of harmonic convergence because somewhere in the universe somebody's thinking that, right? Right, Galactic Federation? Isn't this the year you're going to make humanity ascend into the point of Existence making sense to all of us? Or is it the year of the bong hit? I realized in the last recording that I listened to, which was an old one. By old, I mean something from 18 months ago. And in this day and age, that's old. But that recording felt so innocent in all ways. Except, I definitely was smoking weed during the recording. So, feeling like this would be a good idea for current recordings? Well... Here I go, a little bit of grapefruit. Mmm. Wow, that was fantastic. <clears throat> so, I don't think I've been um, giving marijuana its full pat on the back that it deserves as the, um, whoa, out of that shit, um, as the Hmm. Positive influence, I guess. It's been through challenging times in my head. Um, I believe in my survey of other humans, I've come to realize that I have, if not the most, one of the most active voices in my head. It is there constantly. It's there right now. It's speaking to me as I speak this. Um, mostly criticizing me, of course. But its presence constant as it is, is much more manageable while high, period. That is the biggest benefit being high gives me. Gives me more focus, gives me more um, connectivity. I'm not as distracted. I can make things sequentially happen easier. Now, the width of, of um, attentiveness, I think, narrows through the marijuana, at least I choose to ingest. I think I'm, I gain more concentration, lose more um, seeing everything about me. But that is happening in my head. I'm connecting thoughts in my head. Maybe less distracted by my environment would be a description. Um, I feel more capable of concluding something, arriving at a finite point, not having so many threads remain dangled, but tying some of them together. So... All of those are the benefits for me of getting high. And I do choose uh, marijuana strains that lead toward the sativa side of things. And even in the days of yore, when you were just buying whatever $50 bag happened to be in Clyde's Camaro, you, uh, you knew sometimes when you were getting, a, a, I guess, a hyperweed, there were... I, the first delineation I thought there was in weed was weed that would keep you awake versus weed that would make you sleep. And in fact, the very first two weeds I ever bought legally, Strawberry Cough and Granddaddy Perps, would walk this line exactly. And um, while focus, creativity, and um, motivation, I suppose, um, are much more of a figure it out for yourself which ones provide that level of chemical uh, balance, harmony, um, without giving you hunger, couch lock. Couch lock, to me, 
is exactly the right description of what um, an, a true indica does to you. This doesn't necessarily make you not mental. There are some indicas that, frankly, I've had more insight because a, a real sativa gives you nervous energy and makes you want to do things like clean the kitchen or at least get into the kitchen and fucking deal with that situation with the leftovers or something. Like, you'll just be nagged by shit, which means you get a lot of stuff done, frankly, if you let yourself listen to that. Um, whereas a good indica will throw you on the couch thinking shit through. Like, you know... If the Beverly Hillbillies was in color the whole time, I think it might be my favorite series. Now, is that a thought worth having? Fuck no. But you'll eventually have a thought worth having in an indica frame of mind that you can only have in an indica frame of mind. And it'll be a real connective moment for you. It'll make you think, fuck man, why didn't I figure this part out way earlier? It's those kinds of realizations that I think appear most often in the true um, cosmos of being uh, cannabis uh, creative. I don't know what... I feel like some of my best insights have happened while high. And there's no question that you, true or deluded, come off of certain episodes of thought, generation, train, whatever, destiny while high, in a place that makes you invigorated for producing something. You think through th something productive, not just have a clarity of Beverly Hillbillies being something of superior value, even in black and white. But when you're, when you're capable of tweaking the impact, managing it, as it were, medicinally, I, I don't think that there's a person alive who can't find benefit of some nature, either in ramping you up or calming you down or providing some sort of width and depth that is harder to access, if not easing the burden of an overactive imagination to a point of focus and creativity. What's your extreme? Marijuana can help pull that toward the middle and make it productive because we want that extremity but it's rarely corralled in a way that's being useful. To me, marijuana allows anyone to bring in their strengths to a point they can hone them. Creativity primarily being the strength I speak of. But we're here to create, all of us. And if you don't think of yourself as a creative, you just haven't gotten the right avenue in which to throw your energy. Trust me. We might not all be writers. I don't think we are. In fact, we're not linguists at all. We use writing as a method of communication conveyance that we all know is limited, period. But what you're creative at may just not have been discovered. Music is a good way to unlock it, but there are others too. All right, why am I even talking about this? This is episode 13. Oh, hang on, yawn pause. Maybe yawn pauses don't exist because they don't need to. I'm so lazy with the word because. I don't think the word because should exist. I use cause instead of because I think almost every time. Unless I'm trying to figure out what to say after I say because. Sometimes I'll draw that out so that I have some. And because. Oh, wait a second. <gasps> Is this going to convert? Okay. All right. Notice. Okay. Can I? I'm going to pat myself on the back. Wait. We'll use a bomb. Sure. Why not? 
Good job, John. Good job. I am so sorry. Oh, fuck. Don't go in the... Oh, God. I almost made a mess. Okay. Put that on the floor. I am so sorry about the audio quality for most of the recordings. I know it's B- minus at best. But uh, there is a point. The technological boom that allowed us all to become broadcasters, whether that be YouTube or via podcasts or just audio recordings of yourself to yourself for no reason. The potential connection available via this media is mind-blowing in this state right here for me. The idea that I've been listened to on every continent but Antarctica is insane. For somebody who thinks of letters as still a legitimate and dominant form of communication. And if not that, fuck email, right? Who's never had a Instagram account, don't want to participate in Twitter, have no interest in Facebook or uh, 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 what's the other one everyone's into these days? That one with the photos or the quick snips? Exactly. See? At 54, you can be dismissive of whatever today's media methods emerging in real time primarily are because the idea of what your future looks like has no need for innovation. It was innovative enough in 2007 for me. Now, appreciate TikTok? Sure. I've never seen the site. I've never been on it. We'll never have a TikTok account. Can't even remember it when I'm trying to think of it a minute ago. But I know that if I'm not on TikTok, I'm way less relevant today than I would be with a presence there. It's where people go looking to make connections. So using a method from 2007 limits my capacity in which to connect with anybody. That's purposeful. Listening to me talk to myself is a burden. One that if you're here now, you're somehow way more uh, involved than 95% of anybody that would listen. Even if you got a feeling of harmony, vibe, like this was something that you could connect to, as soon as there's a disconnect, you're going to fast forward or look for something else. You don't live in a world where disconnect is something you endure. Disconnect is something you move from. Your whole life is an opportunity to connect because you have no idea what you haven't sampled yet. So the idea of living with disconnect, enduring something of downslide for the potential upswing it could present is irrelevant. That's There's upswing to look for anywhere else. I get it. And, and uh, Listen, <clears throat> if the world offered me as many avenues and potential um, ways of existing today as it did when I was forging an identity. I don't know if I'd ever become myself. I don't know that I would have ever known I was faking it. Because there would have been something else more nuanced, more extreme, more potentially available than the thing I was currently faking it as. So how did I know I wasn't that? In other words, there's so much out there in the world. 
to sample. Sticking to anything. Feels limited. And I kind of knew that. Look at my relationship history. But what you come to know at some point is those with true foundational stones on which they behave, act, and move forward, whether that be kindness or understanding or forgiveness, those actions are permanent. Everything you're trying on is tangible, fake. Because had you run into a different reality, you'd be trying that on instead. So none of that matters. It always only matters what you present from within. It's a bizarre conundrum to think that that's how the world works. That the true essence of finding meaning in the world is being yourself as much as possible. Because the world will respond by giving you scenarios in which that's what's needed. And in that situation, you grow into a stronger form of yourself. More confident presence that the universe demands. Something that believes in itself is rare. So, how I learned this was how it works is mostly by failure. Like all the failures I made in the last three recordings, I haven't listened to this whole uh, first 12, but uh, I did go back and listen to 8, 9, 10, and 11, because I wanted to get to 13, and having just recorded 12, I'd I'd made 12. But whatever. I have listened to myself recently for four episodes, and then listened to one way back when. And I listened to one of the way back when because it's the one titled, Oh God, I'm so sorry. Um, that is one of my top five most downloaded episodes. I think because it's the people coming to find out why I think this is all my fault that I at least apologize for it. That go to that episode first. So that made me uplifted by the humanity that is around me, but wonder what the fuck did I say in an episode that I ended with? Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Well, I don't say much, fortunately. Nothing um, except my sort of disconnect, my notion of not fitting in is addressed, which I think I addressed pretty innocently. So it's a good one to walk into. I'm actually happy that's what it was. And then I thought, well, then the next thing you would do is listen to something more recent. So that's why I listened to the ones right before I had just recorded. And I leave a lot of, uh, there's some Lily talk in there, which is appropriate because Lily is the presence in my life that made the most difference. Uh, save my family, my sister, my my mother, father, and brother-in-law. But Lily's fifth on the list. And the top ten would next be my roommates and uh, friends from college. I mean, her influence is the most recent and the most influential. So I've probably left her out of the recording more than I should have, in some ways because I kind of anticipated filtering Lily in until we had the separation that brought us apart, I think, for good. But... To make things clear, Lily is just uh, the sort of coincidental event and interaction that changed my life for the better, as challenging as she was to integrate into my life for the good. If I'm constantly looking for the next best thing, I have no room for Lily in my life. She's in a jail cell, and I'm talking about that crazy motherfucker that walked in my back door that I had to call the police on. Which is exactly how that story could have turned out. But it didn't. And because it didn't, I am who I am. And as even Popeye would say, I think that's a good thing. Would he say that? Is that the kind of shit Popeye said? Anybody know? Kitty? You don't know? 
How about that fly that's flying around in here? Does it fucking know? All right. Goodbye, fly. Um, you know what getting high does? I opened actually having looked at that to talk about weed because I don't... I guess I definitely recommend you do, you do mushrooms in your life at least once. But you need to do those in a circumstance where you seek them out. But you should be seeking them out. You should be living a life that demands them. Um, so it, it's hard for me to tell you how to find room in your life for uh, a psychedelic trip on mushrooms or acid. But I highly recommend mushrooms first because un, it's, it's more manageable. But you need to do them with somebody who can help you through them and in a circumstance in which you're guided positively through your environment. It all matters, especially your very first time. So, and after that, how many more times you want to do it is up to you. But I don't think you should do mushrooms every week. I don't. I don't think you should do mushrooms at every festival. Nor do I think you should do MDMA every Friday and Saturday night. But there's room in your life for all of that. It just shouldn't be your life. And even if it's your life for a decade, well, what could you do next with the decade that you have coming up? You can get lost in that life. I got lost in serving. The serving bartending lifestyle is seductive. It is fun. It is full of encounters that are nothing but exciting. Um, it is a great place for somebody who has no real identity to get lost. That's its danger. It can suck in people in the years that they have to give the most. And instead of give, it allows them to just take. Take, 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 take. And everyone else is taking. It's not even a big deal. But is that what you want to do with the years that you could be giving back so much more? Just a question. And trust me, as somebody who hypocritically would be sitting here saying, yeah, don't be doing what I did. Nope. No, 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 no. I'm just saying, if that's what you choose to do, you will have certain compromises that you don't understand until you've watched yourself give them up. Because all that fun isn't just for free. So that's, and, and so I don't know, getting high. I don't know. I've never, ever told someone else to use drugs. I just won't. I wouldn't. I've never told someone not to use drugs. I've always said that whatever decision you feel is right from within, you'll know. And if that is abstinence versus immersion, you'll know. Take both seriously and make sure that both are um, decisions you're making and not influences you're feeling. That's it. All right, forget the word amplify and use embiggen instead. Yeah. Um, getting high has a downside, and that is your vocabulary can just shrink. The word amplify is the kind of word that I have mis attempted to, I have failed to pull forward in real time now at least three times, twice during a recording. So when I see myself struggle to remember a word, one of the things I do is I go look it up in my old school college dictionary and I put a dot next to the word amplify. Believe it or not, there was already a dot next to the word amplify, which means I put my second dot next to the word amplify, which means I've struggled with this word once enough that today I'm going to learn it. So on that day, I use the word amplify as much as possible in every sentence or circumstance I can. I amplify this, I amplify that, everything's being amplified, amplify, 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 amplify. Because I don't like not being able to retain words. And that's my little trick for maintaining my vocabulary as long as I have. And my dictionary is full of dots. It's got dots on all kinds of words you wouldn't believe. 
because we never know what we're going to have trouble coordinating in our language in real time at any given point in this lifetime we lead. And to me, being an effective communicator is the one thing that I owe everybody. I can't assume you've understood me. I have to be able to ensure through communication that you understand me. And if language is what we have to offer, well, then I'm going to use as much mastery of that tool as I can to be as understood as I think I can be. So I apologize for not being able to embiggen the word amplify more often than I'm able to, but I promise there are only a few words in there that have three dots. So once you've gotten to two dots in my life, generally, you're back into my vocabulary for good. But there are some three daughters in there. Those are the ones I truly have to be embarrassed about. I wonder if I can think of one. Not off the top of my head, but I wouldn't be surprised at any of them. If one comes up, I'll be sure to point it out. Um, all right. I haven't talked about social media enough and why I'm not on it. I will never be on Twitter. I will never be on Facebook. I will never be on Instagram. I will never be on uh, any of the TikTok derivatives that come next because I can't afford them time-wise. And... This means I've really pl unplugged from 21st century social life. In fact, I only will date people via face-to-face. -face. And now that meeting people face-to-face -face has gotten to be almost an intimidation exercise, it's hard, it's hard to, to date. I mean, I've been out with like three women this whole year. And I've look, been looking for dates probably since April. Well, May for sure. So, ah, the temptation to be online is... Somewhat. It's more than it's ever been. Meaning it's about 4%. But as the world changes out from underneath you, you have to have this balance in your head of what you're willing to change with it. Frankly, I'm not willing to meet people except in face-to-face -face circumstances. It matters to me that I have a, an immediate sense of who you really are. Otherwise, I'm not really meeting you. I, I have done the online thing a couple of times. And both times it's been truly weird. It's been okay once, and well, it's been okay twice, really. And it's only been a disaster once. And it's only really happened about five times. And the first time it happened was almost magical. So I do have some sense of romanticism about the whole experience, but most of it is disorienting. Most of it feels, um, it feels mechanical somehow. It takes, it takes to me the sort of coincidence that timing and space offer face-to-face -face communications. I like meeting people in real time. It's the way I enjoy doing it. And I'm always somewhat polished or some not quite reality-based version of myself online, as is everybody else. And I don't like that. So <clears throat> I will never, ever want to be online more than I have to be, which is one of the reasons I don't pursue comedy very seriously, because I know at some level you're expected to be socially media literate and active. No fucking way do I care to participate. And that alone will keep me from any sort of uh, professional uh, uh, escalation, which is good. I don't have any interest in that. The last thing I want to do is make comedy a business. Oh my God, those poor people. And that's what happens in America. You turn things into a business and whatever you're passionate about can just be ruined so easily. Um, 
So with all that in mind, I'm at a point in life where I can just say, I do not care. Whatever advantages, financial or professional or otherwise, could occur in spaces that make me uncomfortable, I don't need to participate. So to be young and have that kind of conviction is difficult. I wouldn't have had it. I didn't have it until this decade. But I have it now with the sort of uncompromisable uh, certainty that I won't just find myself chasing something down that I know in the long run offers little return or offers no return or offers negative return. Those are the kinds of incidents, no matter how much temporary satisfaction they may offer, that wreck your life. I've seen enough of it. So that's to me what social media represents. I've never participated because it's always looked like something that was bad for me in the long run. And I still think that it will never really change. So if you see me on those sort of enterprises doing my thing, well, then I've been selling out. And now would be the perfect time to call me on it. Uh, just like childlessness. I feel like I owe you an explanation as to why I think now <clears throat> I'm supposed to be childless. It was in my dreamland that I was shown a contract for life that I signed that included no children because of the karma implications that come with them. No matter what I was going to do, which includes getting somebody pregnant, I was going to end up childless in this reality. And she had an abortion. Or together we've had one. Um, so there you go. I had that dream and was being counseled by one of the camel lionesses directly, which happens rarely. And uh, when I woke up, it was crystal clear to me. And it's sat with me ever since. And so, yeah, that's diluted, right? Some fucking dream about some contract I signed with some camel lioness. Yeah, that is diluted. But I've always quarreled with the fact that it was going to be a lot easier for a woman to decide to just have kids than it is for a guy. You don't get that decision. You can't even make it. Because I kind of wanted to make it. I'd have totally had one one night stand with the right guy so I could have just had a kid. But as a guy, you're not given an option to even do that. So, <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know. The whole childlessness thing gnaws at me. But not in a way that I'll ever solve. But not in a way that I won't uh, unsolve. I just, I just will always feel somewhat limited in my experience as a human being from having not brought another life onto the planet and helped it stand on its own two feet. So, if you're going to ever say, well, you just don't understand something, and it's related to children, I'll say, I agree. That doesn't make me an inconsiderate or hostile person, or even somebody who is... Uh, I hate children in restaurants, I'll be honest, but other than that, I love them. I mean, fucking love them. I love to see them at the zoo, I love to see them in the park. I love to see them having a time of their life wherever they might be as long as it's not in a restaurant. And if they're having a time of their life, that's fine. But most kids in restaurants are not having the time of their life. My point is, I love children. I really do. To the point, I don't want to be uncomfortable in a world now where loving children is a bad thing. At least, the type of love that gets onto the press. I don't ever make faces at kids in lines at the supermarket anymore because I feel like that's an attention that you're not allowed to give anymore. And I 
don't, the world has become more protective than it is uh, loving, for sure. But it doesn't mean I don't love kids. It doesn't mean I don't understand that that kid's doing his best to hold his shit together while that person in line gets a checkbook out of her fucking purse. You don't get to write checks at the store anymore, man. That's just not how we do things anymore. Um, and that kid, patient though he's being, would much rather be having fun. So if somebody would make a funny face at him, he'd last longer than if he has to sit there and hold his composure until that woman actually finds a pen. Well, the days of making that kid's day easier are gone. He's going to suffer through the next two minutes just like the rest of us. And so, however childlessness ended up emerging in my life, I still love kids. I still think kids are awesome, and I still find anything that would hurt a child to be the kind of thing worth standing in front of and dying for. But, as a childless adult, there's a limit to what I can think of when it comes to kids, because I've never endured the process of actually rearing them. And that's a huge burden. The people who have been through it, I admire to the nth degree, and find all of their struggles to be the kind of struggles that I would try to ease first. But, still, it's not like I can go through this whole thing and pretend that that doesn't affect me. It does. And that brings me to this last, well, not the last line, but at least sort of. So how do you know what to think and believe? How do you, how do you know, how do you know how to hammer out what's what? And I speak a lot about having all done this by myself, and that's just so fucking not fair. So many influences you're going to have. You just have to navigate. And it took me a long time to understand that I'm kind, that I'm forgiving, that I'm understanding. It took me 50 years. And so it goes. Your struggle might be long. But the realization, the constant hammering out what you know to be true and deciding that you'll stand up for the things that you know are the most true that have to exist in any society, you don't care which one you manifest in next, this better be there. Well, you'll start acting a little bit more on those if you believe that those things are you. I don't let... Uh, someone doing a great job in a monotonous spot, not understand that I notice them standing out and doing the excellent job that they're doing. Because I know I could be trapped in that job and all it would make for me to just stay one more weak focus would be for somebody to notice that I'm trying. So, do, try, I do, to find those people when they need to be heard or need to be told they're doing a good job or whatever else is out there that might be you. You'll know how to become more purposeful about what you think and believe if you start acting in a way that truly reinforces the most fundamental beliefs you have. You start to pile up this, this, um, this linear progression of strength that you gain from each next encounter. So how you know what to think and believe is to follow your actions where they're most sincere. Because that's what you think and believe to be the most right. So, I didn't learn all this on my own. I didn't just carve it out. And the incidents I had with Lily that proved how forgiveness can almost well up from within. Well, yeah, maybe Lily's the person who was there that triggered all that to happen. But it was me. Undeniably. 100%. Try to show me another path and you'll be wrong. It was me. So, you will also come to understand that that is a strong position to be in. You now know yourself and are confident that you're right. You can depend on this. When everything comes 
to bear and you have to drop the knife, you will forgive. Okay. Lesson learned. I, and, and being that way reinforces that you're doing the right thing. The more I can find an opportunity for people to learn to forgive, the more I feel like I've made this a better world. I could be deluded. In fact, the next line, that's why I said this wasn't the end, it says selfish prick. I am definitely a selfish prick. I've lived my whole life basically according to exactly what I wanted to do. I've made very little compromise for anything or anybody. And because of that, I take accountability for all of it. And it's mostly mediocre. I've done nothing great. I've done nothing of esteem. I've done nothing that I would even say makes me worthy of you listening to this. You shouldn't be. But for myself, I've moved past that selfish prick phase in a way that's meaningful, that's matter, that matters to me, that has an effect on my community, that has created more purposeful interactions with the people around me. I am embracing being the person that I truly am, as opposed to the one that was just taking what he could in a world full of people who were willing to give it away. No. Be bigger than the situation. Be better than the circumstance. And be true to yourself. And that is not being a selfish prick. I don't care who you are. You know you're doing things you shouldn't. All right, so I'm not sure what this says with no regrets with Lily. I, I have some regrets with Lily, but I don't regret my overall interaction with a delusional schizophrenic who I was friends with for six years. That's a tough thing to say you have no regrets over. But I acted in a way that I kept finding more and more resolve and conviction in who I was, trying to help her discover who she could be. And we had plenty of uh, help and reinforcement from the professional community, from the, unfortunately, the uh, incarceration community, her family, her friends. I wasn't peripheral. I was, I was engulfed. And I managed to maintain and grow through the situation in a way I'm proud of. And I think her family would be. Her family thought I would give up on her so many times that I didn't. So, ultimately, Lily taught me the biggest lesson I've ever learned in life. And for that, I will always be grateful. And will I always be alone? <laughs> yeah, I think, I don't know. I talk about this one way too much, so I'm going to just say, I'm going to shut the fuck up about this for a while. And I'm going to live my life, and I'm not going to talk about other people in a way that has anything to do with romantic inclination. If I need to update you, I will. But let's face it, probably not. People are hard to meet face-to-face. -face. It's true.